0: get back to marry I want to run my very family point'll be a 15
1: yard penalty on the kickoff, but the play is not renewable.:
0: Welcome to a special edition of The Ruarral of the Allianceons UK. podcast. I'm Matthew Turner. He's Anthony Fitzpatrick. of this is the mini Opium part. I have been feeling a feeling since the draft for the past week or so, that this team is on the brink of something really, really special. And I know that there are some commentators out there wanting to keep people's feet on the ground. Jeremy Reisman specifically said, I'm getting worried about how the uh, the NFL media regarding these lines is actually doing pretty well. I'm on the opposite side of it. I'm all for it. And in fact, I think some of these guys are actually low on us because despite how all these guys view us, all these mock drafts are coming out, With us at 3rd or 4th in 2023 because of the Super Bowl odds, I do not buy it at all and I am going to very, along with Ant, tell you why you should be optimistic this year. Ant, how you doing man?
1: Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm doing really good, thank you. Uh, you know me, always a proponent of drinking a good amount of the uh, Honolulu Blue Kool-Aid here. I think um, I've got some catching up to do with you, but like yourself, I'm in a very optimistic mood for this coming season, more so than maybe some other people. So, yeah, I'm just, I'm fed up with the negativity. I'm fed up of picking high in the draft. I'm fed up with this here, and, you know, we, we watch the lines every week. We? We, we, we watch everything they do and you just get the sense that the tide is turning. Things are changing. There is an air of optimism
0: in the air. And this time it is different. It is different. It feels different. It feels positive. I would argue two consecutively good off seasons gives hope for the future years as well. Whether I'm right about this year or not. The process appears good, and let's start talking about this off-season. So the Lions come into free agency pre-draft. If I will take all of all the free agency as it is, so letting go of uh, a few guys in there, Dean Marlowe, Jalen reeves mabin Canelo Hodge, uh, but bringing on board safety to Sean Elliott, wide receiver D. J. Chark cornerback Mike Hughes, linebackers Chris Borden, and Jared Davis, and now Natrez Patrick and the tight end Garrett Griffin. This free agency class got a lot of, um, not hate, I don't want to say hate. It had a lot of people saying that the Lions were being conservative in free agency. But if I look at where we are with the cap, especially given how much of DJ Chark's salary was pushed down the line, you know, we're right up against this cap. For me, I don't really see how much more the Lions could have done in free agency. I don't know if you think they could have pushed it a bit harder. But for me, this looks like a really nice balance of cap management and getting people who can really contribute. And I, I'm super high on DJ Chart personally as well. But what what do you think overall about free agency? Well, you know,
1: we're looking for reasons to be positive for the future we are looking for reasons why this franchise is different to what it has been in the past. And, you know, the cap management has been a big positive as far as for me, as far as things go, because just, just think where we were after when Bob quit and Matt Patricia left, you know, we were in an absolute dumpster fire of a situation in regards to our cap, in regards to the amount of money we have to play with here. We, we, We had nothing last year. We had to go bargain shop hunting this year. We, we've kind of had to go bargain shop hunting again because, like you said, there wasn't very much room there. And, and a big part of the reason why is all the dead cap we've been eating from the horrific contracts that Bob Quinn's given out in the Quintrish era. But, you know, as you've said here, you know, the contracts that we are negotiating with guys, who are coming, even the ones we retained, you know, guys like Charles Harris, etc., the deals are very, very viable. They don't hurt us down the line. They don't hurt us now. They've made the best situation they can out of a really tight cap situation. And, you know, when you're building a team from scratch, you rely more on the draft than you do on free agency the draft is where your bread and butter comes from and you know i don't know this is a opium podcast but for me I, I i'm not crazy about the free agent class outside of Shark. i think a lot of these guys you know they're here for an opportunity and if they can do it great or like i say the, the bread and butter comes out of the draft and you know we've seen some of these free agency flyers have worked charles harris has worked you know uh, Reynolds worked, you know, you could say Raymond maybe has worked, depends on it, and you know, what you think a little bit, but, you know, they've been very sensible with it. And next year, in 12 months time, two years, less than two, you know, two years after we had one of the most horrific situations going, we've got plenty of cap to work with next year. And, you know, we, we've got as much as 70 or 80 million. And that's before we look at the likes of putting Gotham Brockers. Those two alone can save us a further 30 million. You've got plenty there to be able to go out and spend and get those last few guys on your squad. And the big difference in the variation to what the Chicago Bears are doing, and they're harping on about their 120-odd million they've got in free agency next year. They don't have a young settled core on the side. We do. Our trenches are set for years on both sides. You know, we've got young playmakers on both sides and we're going to be adding vets to this group, and that team's going to become good really damn quick. If, you, if, if you'd have said this has been the position we were in, what, 15 months ago when he first got here, you'd have laughed. We were worried this was going to be three, four years of ultimate pain to try and fix this. But after 12 months, we're in a situation where, you know, there's optimism, and, and mm-hmm. rightly so. It's, it's not an acceleration of the rebuild. It's just they've done that damn a good job that they've got out a big time frame that we, we, we were initially planning on for this rebuild to be part of,
0: so Absolutely. I'm really happy
1: with the job they've done.
0: Mm. Let me let me try and sell you on this free agent class. I know that you're not big on it, and I get it. I do. They're not superstars. You've already said you're high on Chark, so I won't go into that too much. We can talk about that when we talk about the roster. Mike Hughes played much better in the slot compared to outside corner. Much more athletic than aj parker and i liked aj parker last year but he didn't play well he just outperformed his expectation is is what i would say he played fine but he he was a udfa and he outperformed that but that's all i can say about him mike hughes taking that slot spot is an, an upgrade for me a big one if you have that jared davis comes in if he makes this roster if he makes this roster Two years ago he was linebacker one, now he might be linebacker five. Is that not progress? To Sean Elliott. Sorry, this guy might be starting above Will Harris from last year. Is that not an upgrade? Look at how many games we lost by one score last year. All of these incremental increases may not feel like they're massive moves, but where you're just getting a little bit better everywhere, it's gonna make a big difference overall.
1: See, this is a positive podcast, so I'm, I'm trying not to be here, but they feel like placeholders, and that's all I'm saying. They feel like placeholders for when the guys in the draft come in or when the big free agency guys come next year. And, you know, I and again, I'm not critiquing the way they went about it. You know, spending massive money in free agency this year could have potentially harmed all the good they've done, you know, navigating the cap, eating all that dead last year. You know, we, we've this whole situation we're in why 12 months ago we were the worst franchise going was because of free agency it crippled us we spent such insane amounts of money on past it and has-beens and then had to pay the piper for it and people were you know people were like you know we should never have got to that situation it's like spend again no you just got to be prudent and we've been prudent you know, it, Hughes might work out and, yeah, hey, yeah, we've got one spot there, but, it, you know, it doesn't matter if he does or not. These are the kind of signs they are. They're not, they're not moving the needle yet. A lot of work required going into them. But, again, the overall strategy they've had, it, it's very positive. Like, say, you, you, you put the emphasis on your rookies, you develop them, and you have the settled basis of a potentially great team. And, and we do. You know, I mean, just think about next year. Like I say, the the trenches are settled. You know, that's your big thing there. Your wide receiver core is young. You potentially have this group here for three or four years and add to them, you know, the cornerbacks if they come good. Young group here. Linebackers, again, got some good potential positivity there. So, you know, we've laid the groundwork for the future and then we can go spend the money and compete. So,
0: Mm. yeah, it's. I like the way they've done it. I'm just, you know, free agency. I can take it or leave it. No, I I absolutely feel that it's okay to like the process, even if you don't necessarily, if you're not that high on the people that have come in. That that's absolutely fine. Let's talk then about the draft class, and for me, in in massive difference to Chicago and Minnesota's draft, and even actually Green Bay's draft. I think we got difference makers on our team, massive difference makers, and also we've got the role players as well. So. Minnesota, Chicago feel like they've got an entire draft of role players, basically, with role players with upside, whereas it feels like we've got the impact players and the role players with upside, so Hutchinson starts day one. Jameson, I mean, it depends whether he's healthy or not, but if he is, he starts day one. If he's not, you're looking at only four and a half years of hopefully an elite starter, and him, I see... Absolutely, what I want in a wide receiver in this team not only just him in isolation but the sort of complementary wide receiver that we need. We've got the guy over the middle like Amon Ra, we've got Hock uh, um, that can do that too, we've got the X receiver in Chark. Williams is the complementary missing piece. Pascal's gonna contribute, Kirby's gonna contribute, Mitchell's gonna help Hock no end because. If Mitchell can be the tight end on the line, well, if you're playing 11 personnel, maybe Hock can be the slot receiver every now and again, and Mitchell can be the tight end on the line. You know, like, it allows you to do so many different things, and never mind talking about Rodriguez and Houston and Lucas, who can definitely play their part. What do you think?
1: I would agree. You know, I I like our draft, you know, better than most. I know I was talking on the main podcast the other day, I do like Green Bay's, and I'm not going to lie, I can't. I think they had a really good draft. But like you say with us, we we got the impact players we needed. We aggressively targeted the wide receiver who finishes out the room. We've got every type of receiver you really need now. Even if he's not going to be healthy, Chark's here. Chark can fulfill his role. We're not in a situation where we have to rush him in. You know, we're we're probably not going to win playoff games and that this year. But what we are going to do is get Jamison healthy, get him up and running to speed in the NFL and, you know, get a good amount of wins with him there. We're going to build him in. You know, the, the, the edge guys are, are the big ones, obviously, Hutch and Pascal. And, and, and to the lesser ground, the second-year guys as well, Levi and Alim. There's a lot of talent in there, and it is about how they can develop. And I've already gone on record as saying Todd Wash is now the most important person in Detroit because he is, you know, he needs to do his job and develop these linemen the same way that Hank Fraley does on the O-line. And if he does, then Jesus, we, we're quids in, we, we are quids in with some of these guys. So, you know, they, they've gone after the trenches. That's what they wanted to do. That they're, they're built now. They are basically built. And now you've got to refine them and complete them or oh, you've got all your foundation pieces in there. So I like that. I mean, safety i still think he's going to be a need long term i don't think kirby joseph is i mean to be honest if if joseph and walker are my guys behind like a big guy like a big draft guy next year or a big free agency guy that's a really good room but we've seen what we did last year we some areas we couldn't target in the draft because we didn't have enough picks and we filled out the depth in them wide receiver we filled out the depth positions you know edge, we've filled in the depth positions and we've gone and spent big on them this year, and the rooms are complete now. And I think we guys like you know the safety room, that's what we're doing this year. We're filling out the depth, we're getting it ready for the big guys to come in and, and really take over. But I like Joseph as a guy in there, and and the day three picks, I, I think we smashed it out of the park. You know, I've I've tried laboring this point to the pod guys, they just are not interested one little bit about this day three lot, and I'm surprised about that. Because, you know, people can go, oh, yeah, the day three guys that really shouldn't be competing on a good roster or something like that. But this is a bit different. James Mitchell's only a day three pick because of injury. And I will stand by that. I picked him out on the college but at the start of last year has been a potential round three signing. He was that good. He just got injured. He's only there because of that. Rodriguez, you know, it's because of his physical profile, his, his arm span, bits like that. But you've already seen The man hits like a truck. He's already made a name for himself in training camp. He is going to be a big part on this roster, and not just because there's no depth there. I think that's disrespectful there. You've got Borden, who everyone was really excited about when we got him. You've brought Jared Davis back. There's genuine competition for him to get in this team as a round five pick, but he's going to, in my opinion, and he's going to have an impact on this team, as is James Houston. That that hybrid versatility that he brings, and you know that I, I talked about it in my article on him. He's got a last chance mentality where he's playing every snap like it's his last. He produces very dangerous players when you like that. That versatility is going to get him a good look in our side, maybe you know, we, we've been trying to get this outside linebacker position sorted for some time. We, we I know we, we tried to put Julian there, you know. We've tried to, I mean, we've tried to put Trey Flowers there and do that with him. And it, it's not really worked, but he's perfect for our scheme here. And, you know, I love the match of these guys. I love the intensity they bring. And we saw last year, it doesn't take, guys who have household names or anything to make a good squad. It's their mentality. It's how they play. You know, the team plays better than the sum of its parts with guys like these who give everything on their play. But, you know, we do have the skill in there to match this year. We've got our premium measures in. We've got our premium wide receivers in. You know, the offense is, to me, it's sorted. You know, the big thing we lacked was a true wide receiver one and genuine depth at tight end. We've sorted that. Swift stays healthy. Williams plays well. The O-line stays healthy. It's it's good and raring to go. And there's still a lot of talent there to be developed. The wide receiver room is going to be a tough place to get into this year, but it's got depth. Josh Johnson's in there fighting for a place. Khalil Pimpleton's in there fighting for a place. Again, people go, oh, undrafted free agents. you know. They, know, they are. This is from guys who've watched their college footage and how well they can play, and you are – These guys drive each other to become better, and we saw it in regards last year. The corners fought really, really hard. Jacobs, Parker, had to fight like hell to get their spots in the team, and they fought like hell to keep them, and you saw it. So, you know, the the draft went really well. We hit well with the top picks, and then later on in the draft, we've got guys who have the potential to be far better than where we drafted them from, and the value we got out of them. is just, you know... Holmes has been a master in these two drafts. You know, we always worried when Quinn did drafts because we're like, what, what the hell are they going to do now? You know, what, what, what's going to be the, the smart decision they want to make in the draft that no one else is going to make because they think they're better than them and they're not. They're really not. And you saw that with the Patriots this year. They, you know, they thought they were the smartest guys in the room and they messed their draft up big time. But we've been very prudent. And I know people will say, well, it's got a depth on our roster that so many of these late guys make it on, but again, that's disrespectful to them. Hmm. I think they're gonna be there through merit.
0: So just had a question in from Ghost Gunner, he said, Do you think Trinity Benson gets cut? I will give you one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten wide receivers currently signed by the Lions that are better than Trinity Benson. So I I feel sorry for him that he's kind of come in with high hopes. But I personally would put Corey Sutton above Trinity Benson. And so we didn't talk about Corey Sutton last... Uh, yesterday. But I actually had a chance to go and watch some of his tape this afternoon. And I came away pretty impressed, actually. He fits the build of someone who could be a backup ex-receiver at his 6'3", 200-odd pound frame. He's built, got good body control got a nice little twitch to him there's a lot of work to do i'm not saying there isn't but in him at least he has some physical traits i can get behind trinity benson i just don't see it so yes no no chance for him but it's a hopian podcast we're gonna be positive so let's talk about this offense the, Hop- mm. the, the Hopium podcast is trinity benson is gonna have to
1: work his ass off but again Whoever makes it into those depth positions is going to have beaten off serious competition to get there. Mm. You know, we've fostered a culture now where it's not just like last year with receivers, anyone could walk onto this team. We, we carried Sage Surratt and Javon McKinley through most of the season and, you know, bought them up occasionally. It, it, it was lack of competition. But you think this year, you, you've got your fringe guys. Some, some people are even saying Cephas is in danger. And Cephas actually played well last year. You know, I don't think Cephas deserves all this are oh, we going to cut him talk because it doesn't deserve it. He, he looked like he was developing really well last year and he was one of the first receivers to get a rapport going with Jared Goff, which says a lot. You know, yeah. Jared Goff trusted him before pretty much anyone, even Amon Ra. Oh Gosh yeah, would look for Cephas. Do and you that recall? There... I
0: don't. I don't remember which game it was, but there was a fourth down play. They went five wide with Cephas, the X receiver yeah. on the far left hand side. They designed a play for him in five wide. Yeah. He was the feature guy. Like exactly. people forget that no, that play didn't work. It was a badly designed play. That wasn't Cephas' fault. He ran the route well, and it was just badly thrown and it was badly designed. But he was exactly. the guy.
1: Exactly. And, you know, it was just it was just one of many, many horrible injuries that sidelined us this year because I genuinely think, you know, I mean, it, it, it's an interesting question because does Amon Ra break out if Cephas breaks out first last year? Who knows? But, you know, Cephas earned his reps, played well. And people are saying he's on the bubble. So if you've got Cephas fighting for a spot, Khalif Raymond is sure as hell fighting for his spot now that Khalil Pimpleton's here because he can do what Raymond does and he can do it without the $4 million price tag or whatever it is on this roster. Khalil Pimpleton is the real deal. Josh Johnson is going to push people because, as I've said already, he has some of the best feet out of any receiver in this draft. And I'm talking about the guys who went in the first round. His feet are that good. So he, if trained properly and refined right, is going to make a damn good receiver. So... This outside room is going to get pushed and pushed and pushed. And whoever emerges as wide receiver four, five, six this year, it's going to have beaten off a lot of stiff competition too. And, and that's what I mean. This this elevates people up to been better. You saw it with the corners last year, the elevation. I'm looking forward to seeing that this year. Akuda ain't a walking on this team. He ain't a starter for me at the moment. He's got to earn that right back because of the competition in that room. And... That, that is what a good team is. It is a selection of very highly, you know, we're very good players fighting to be on that roster, not just getting the spot because no one else is there. So, you know, if, if Benson fights his way onto this team, I'll actually be really impressed because I'll be like, right, well, the competition he's beating out is legit. It's not just he's getting a spot because it's not happened. Do I expect him to make this roster? Probably not. I, I would like Josh Johnson to make this roster. I would maybe like Pimpleton to make the roster, you know, because I like the cap implications of replacing Raymond with him. I think he can do the right job. So, but well, this is the exciting thing this year. Some of these positions have such, you know, competition levels that it's going to drive them on to do so much better and, you know, to, to elevate this team, which is why I think people are wrong to sleep on us. They just go, oh, well, you know, that they're, they're in on potential and that. But, some of these guys are going to hit and in some places, there's so many players fighting for a spot that the right number of guys are going to hit and you're going to end up with a good group and you're going to end up with good
0: backups to bring up in case of injury which we couldn't last year. Yeah, so let's Let's maybe take it in the direction of the starters, the guys who are probably going to be playing the majority of the reps this year and just maybe look at how we think conceptually it compares to the rest of the NFL. We talked before, you mentioned that you thought that this offense was largely complete. Our starters at the moment, projected by ESPN, are Jared Goff, quarterback, Swift and Williams running backs, wide receivers, Amon Ra, DJ Chark, Jameson Williams, tight end, Hawkinson, fullback, if required, Jason Kabinda, and then the five on the line of Decker, Jackson, Ragnell, Vite, and Saul. In that starting lineup, I do not see a position that obviously needs an upgrade, apart from quarterback, but that is accepted. Can't do anything about that this season. So barring Goff, and I'll come to Goff in a second. I see Swift as uh, a running back that I kind of said in the offseason I was willing to trade. And I will say that up front. But as someone who carried the offense on his back last season, the reason I was willing to trade him is because he's a running back, not because he's not very, very good at his job. And I do believe in DeAndre Swift. I bought his jersey. Amon Ra, DJ Chark, Jameson Williams is your 3 When Williams is fit. Chark as your one. Williams as your one. Some Browners you won. Sorry, I have three wide receiver ones. What the fuck happened there? Like, all of these guys on their own back can carry the team on their own. What happens when you have three of them? This is one of the best wide receiver calls in the NFL, and I do not care what you think. If you do not believe in this wide receiver call, I do not know what to tell you. Josh Reynolds was wide receiver four on the Titans and got cut. We picked him up and he was our wide receiver one. He's now our four and might be our five, because as we just said, Quintus Cephas played excellently last week until his injury. Khalif Raymond played really well in patches last year, and he's our six right now. I mean, oh my god, this core is really, really good. Tight ends. Hawkinson had to do it all by himself, got crowded out because there were no receivers on the team. This year, much, much less attention, and if there isn't, the wide receivers will get a lot of play. Hawkinson this year should have a lot less attention on him, should be able to work the middle of the field really, really well. But because we've got James Mitchell in the mix when he comes back from injury, because Brock Wright looked like he was coming on a bit, if Garrett Griffin makes the squad, someone who can block better than Hawkinson can, this frees up Hawkinson to do some of his best work. I expect and demand that Hawkinson has a good year this year, because if he doesn't, I have major questions for him. So, Hawkinson's going to be an excellent tight end this year. Kabinda, we don't need to speak about Kabinda. He's just absolute super back. Dom, love him. Decker, in my mind, a top 10 left tackle. Don't need to do any better than that. Sewell, a top five right tackle in the NFL. He had an iffy first five games. That was the Lions' fault. That was the Lions' fault for moving him over... To right tackle in the first place, which I thought they should do, but they did that when he was left tackle at college. So, and then had to move him over to left tackle, because Decker went down, so you've moved him twice already. Then he started playing really well at left tackle, oh, we now need to keep him there. Move him back to right tackle when he plays really well the rest of the year. He was iffy, because the lines from necessity fucked him over. Saul so is the best tackle in last year's class. I do not care about Rashawn Slater. Slater is not going to compare to this guy. Top five right tackle. will not be surprised if he's the top right tackle in the NFL in a couple of years' time. Vitae came on leaps and bounds. Ragnell's the best center in the league. And Jonah Jackson continues to get better and better and better. This is the top five offensive line in the NFL. And with Swift and Williams behind them, with a wide receiver core that will demand respect. And with Jared Goff actually having confidence in his offensive line. So this is the Goff bit. Last few games of the season, last five or six games, he really came on leaps and bounds. But why did that happen? Was it random? Did he just hit a good streak? No. That isn't what happened. And if they think that's what happened, if you think it's random, if you think it's luck, you're not watching the game. What did Goff do differently to become good? He trusted his line. He didn't go spinning out of the pocket at the first sign of trouble. He stepped up into the pocket. He stepped into trouble trusting that his line would protect him. He saw guys available because there were actually wide receivers later on that he could trust to receive the ball. He threw caution to the wind and it paid off for him. He trusted his team. You know what changed about the team in front of him? About that line? Absolutely nothing! The wide receivers got even better. If anything, he should do what got him success at the end of last year. More, he should do that quite naturally. In this camp, if he can gain the confidence that he got at the end of the last year, and he's already got chemistry with a lot of these guys, this offense could hum. I mean, it could really hum.
1: Uh, uh, you see just, uh, like, the smiles breaking out across them Like, it's hard not to just, you know, take that enthusiasm and inject it through my ears. That's the thing that, I mean... What, what? None of what you said there is wrong. You know, there are very few players who, in this starting offense we've got, that I would actively look to try and upgrade at this moment in time. I think the thing for me, it's the key is availability. Because, you know, left tackle we lost last year. Center we lost last year. Swift has had injury problems. Hawkinson has had injury problems. You know, it, that's the key. It's all about health. If we can, you know, like get just 50% of the injuries we had last year, we'll be in a much better place than we were before. And if these guys are all healthy and playing, which is a big ask in the NFL to have your entire first string offense out there in one go, it is dangerous. It's very dangerous. We've got a good depth running back room, you know, even outside of Williams, even outside of Swift, you know, Jefferson is going to have a good year. And that was, again, injury held him back just as he was starting to break out there. Reynolds has taken every opportunity given to him there. You know, this offensive line creates gaps for people to go into. And, you know, if that can just stay healthy, if that offensive line can just stay healthy, it will be so damn good. I mean, You know, we're starting the season against the Eagles. The Eagles have very, very little in their edge-rushing department. They, you know, they're, they're good on the interior, but I would want my line, the amount I've invested in it, to dominate. And this line can dominate if it is healthy and able to. And as for the goth thing, I mean... I know we, we, I, you know, I take a lot of flack off this on Twitter for defending him and stuff, but, you know, 12 months ago, you inherited a man who was broken, utterly broken. He was chucked out of LA with near never a, a, an apology towards him for the way he was treated, blamed for all their issues. That's to sit and watch the Rams win a Super Bowl last year. Comes here where we've got no receivers. He's missing the two biggest parts of his offensive line most of the season. The confidence is shot. But towards the end of the year, like you said, you saw the confidence you know, start to get there. And this is what this team's about. It's about second chances. It's about gaining opportunities and, and taking advantage of them. And, and he has. And, and let's face it, he got some tough love last year. I think when Campbell came out and openly criticised him, I think it was not long before... Goff's form turned around because Campbell's like, you know what? The situation's bad, but you're going to play better, mate. And he did. He played a lot better to the point where you did feel confidence in him. And, and this year he needs to be given a fair shot. And I don't care if you're going to be... You know, Goff, Goff critics can come right at me on this. and You can say he's had all the opportunities in the world and whatever, but he hasn't. He has not had a fair opportunity in Detroit. Has he made mistakes? Yes, he bloody well has. You know, are there some things he could have done a lot better? Yes, there is. But until you get an opportunity to work with a competent wide receiving core, with a healthy offensive line, and a run game that can work properly, which it did not under Anthony Lynn because he just couldn't run that offense whatsoever, you know, he, he's now got that opportunity. If Jared Goff is bad this year, then he deserves to have his hook slung and he deserves never to start another game of football again anywhere ever because this is as good an opportunity as he is ever going to get again with these receivers and that here. But the way he and the team finished off the season, if you're a positive person and you're on the hoping train, you saw the progression that team made you know, after that first win against the Vikings, something changed. The mentality changed. Learning how to win games, learning how to battle and come back. You saw the team evolving right in front of you. All those players in there, including Goff, evolved and started to do better. And this season, you're looking for them to carry on that momentum and keep on going. Give them the opportunity to do so. If they come out and go 3 and 4 then, you know, we're going to have issues because I'm not accepting that this year. There are expectations there. You know, it's not like we're a slappy pod, which will accept anything. Last year, they, they, they sort of had free reign to be a little bad. But this year, there are expectations and there are no excuses for them to not do well. And But you've got to give them the opportunity. That's the whole point of what Dan Campbell's about. It doesn't matter who you are, where you're from. The opportunity is there for you and we will give you a fair shot. And that is what players appreciate. That is what mm. this whole rebuild is based on. Is opportunity for all and sundry, so long as you work bloody hard and earn it. And I think Goff earned his second year towards the end of last season. It was always the plan, the way the contract is, the way it was structured. We were always going to use him for two years and then move on or keep him. And I don't think two years is a lot to ask in the grand scheme of a rebuild. We had a lot of other issues we needed to fix before a quarterback. Justin Fields is going to die this year because the Bears have gone about it the wrong way. they got the shiny new toy, and now they're trying to make a team around him, which is going to take a bloody long time. Mm. So, you know... Yeah. It, yeah. Yeah, Goff deserves this chance, and, you know, it's not, it, it's not a slappy thing to say. We're giving him a fighting chance now, and now this is his opportunity to mess up. Last year, it wasn't. This year, it is.
0: Yeah, no, 100%. Just quickly, if this offense fires on all cylinders and miraculously does stay healthy, what do you think the ceiling is for them in just terms of, like, ranking them against the rest it's of the top NFL? ten.
1: It's top 10. It's easily... Well, I say easily. It, it's going to be, I'd say, around 10 to 12, I think, if even if it's humming well, because don't forget, I mean, th- there are some really good offenses in this league, and I'm not just going to forget about them. It's not like we're going to... Start ripping people apart overnight, but we have we have the most important thing. We have our offensive line built. That is the critical thing to any offense's chance of succeeding, and we have that. You know, we we have a good depth running back room, and that's key. We don't have a superstar. I don't think DeAndre Swift is a superstar, but we have two very good rotational guys at the top who can win games and can score your points, well, maybe not win your games, but they are very good running back room but you've got depth behind them. So, you know, good running back room, made better by its offensive line. You've got a quarterback whose confidence is going and can potentially, if if he has a good season, he can have a good season. You know, a good season that can get you to the playoffs. He can do that. And now you've got a wide receiver room, which is dangerous. And I know a lot Depends on Williams and whether he's fit or not. But let, let's even say Williams is not fit. We've got our outside receiver in chart. We've got our slot receiver in Amon saint Brown. And as I've said, we've got a lot of guys fighting to get into that team who are going to have to take the opportunities afforded to them. Because if they don't, then someone else will come up and take that opportunity. So I, I expect us to be a top 10, 12 unit if injuries allow it. Yeah, now that's, obviously that's if we yeah. yeah, it is. If we if we lose golf, we're screwed. If we of lose, course. you know, I mean, maybe not rag now, but if we lose one of the tackles, we're in trouble because we saw what happened last year without oh tackles Decker. are
0: bigger than now for sure. I love Frank. Without but... yeah.
1: But Brown's in there, but but tackles huge. Yeah. Gotta keep those tackles healthy because we have not really invested in it. Now I know a, a Eze's in there, but as I was saying on the main podcast the other day, he ain't a starter. He's not a guy who's going to be able to come in and relieve for a full game to a high level to start with. So the tackles have to stay healthy. But you know, Hank Fraley does such a good job with that line that even then I'd be I'd be more optimistic than not. The line was still pretty good last year, and Goff bought a lot of his sacks on himself to start with. Mm. So the offense is primed, as far yeah. as I'm concerned. It's primed and ready to go if it can stay healthy and if Ben Johnson can carry on the work of last season because, you know, we, we utilized every play in the book last year, but it's, it's going to be a case now of, you know, teams are going to know about that now. So we've got to start doing using this word the fundamentals better so that we don't have to start doing all these trick plays and stuff like that so but i'm 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 genuinely excited
0: about it i I yeah. am yeah just the, yeah. Let, let so let let me run down the teams that even at our best I don't think we better than their offense because I think it will illuminate a few things if I have a look at as I'm looking at ESPN at the moment just for the list of the teams just for ease the bills are better than us come what may I don't believe the Cowboys are Giants, Eagles, Commanders, Dolphins, Patriots, Jets, no. Packers, no, they've lost too much. Rodgers is Rodgers, but entire offense, including offensive line, I reckon there's a chance that we are better than them on their day. I know you'll probably disagree with that, but I don't care. Bengals and Browns are better than that on offense. Ravens, Steelers, no. Um, Ravens are just meh, they're they're one guy. Well
1: you think the Browns are better than us but the Packers are Hold on offense. Yep.
0: Yeah. Pa- Browns have got a much, much better wide receiver core. They've got a good offensive line, they've got a a really good running back, they've got a good quarterback as much so don't want him to be in the league anymore. He's going they to have be suspended. A, well okay fine, but they I'm I'm maybe I I'm looking at us in a perfect world, so I'm going to assume he's not suspended. Just for the sake of argument. The Browns' offense is better than us. Uh, just overall, they've got all the facets of a good team. Packers have an offensive line and a quarterback and a running back. We don't have any wide receivers. But who's catching the ball?
1: Yeah, but you could have said that last year as well. Outside of Adams, before the season started. Uh, no, screw it. This is a Hopian podcast. I, I can't. No. Yes.
0: Okay. Stop baiting me. I, I see. I see what you're saying though. But yeah. Okay. Uh, I don't believe anyone in the AFC South is better than us on offense. Not even the Titans. Uh, in the NFC South, Bucks I say on, on on our day were not better than them, so I think the Bucks are better. Cardinals, Rams are probably better. 49ers, I think, should start Trey Lance, and if they do, they're not better than we are. And then in the AFC West, Chargers and Chiefs, maybe Broncos. So if all of those guys are better than us, that puts us, I think, at eight or nine. Like, that, that uh, that is on our perfect day, admittedly. But, like, I think the great thing yeah. about it is if one of our wide receivers does go down injured, if one of our running backs goes down injured, if our tight end goes down, this team doesn't stop. It's the offensive line and the quarterback, which are the key things, which is basically what we just said. But we spent enough time, on the offense, let's throw it over to the defense. A lot of people have been asking about that in the chat. Starting offense for per ESPN in the four-three base defense. defense. Sorry, yes.
1: You said starting offense again.
0: My bad. Romeo Okwara and Aiden Hutchinson on the edge. Aline McNeil, Michael Brockers on the interior. I will take issue with Michael Brockers being the starter there, but never mind. Uh, linebacker starters: Barnes, Anzalone, and Jared Davis. I mean. What? But okay. Uh, Amani Arouarie and Jeff Okuda and then Deshaun Elliott and Tracy Walker. So let's amend this a little bit. Brockers is out. Levi's in as starter. Um, Jared Davis swaps out for a nickel back because I think we'll basically be in nickel 75% of the time. Um, So Davis I will drop and bring in the slot corner who I think will probably be Mike Hughes. Um... Will Akuda be the starter? Maybe not. If he could well be that guy. Jerry Jacobs could well be that guy. So that's what we're sort of talking about. And then Kirby Joseph is obviously the third safety when we bring in the third safety. Or Elliot, Joseph, however you want to do that. When I look at where this defence could be in this next 12 months, in Aquara, and I will bang this drum until the day I keel over. Romeo Aquara had... A season and three games of some of the best edge play we've seen in Detroit since I've been a fan, since 2009. The guy got 10 sacks in one year, and then through three games had the fourth most pressures in the NFL. If he continued on that rate, he would have finished second in pressures in the NFL. The guy was on an absolute tear. So, Aquara coming off injury, can you rely on him to be that guy again? No, but it is in there if he comes back strongly. So don't forget him. But you've got Hutchinson. You've got Charles Harris, who came in so strong. So he wasn't the starter. He got seven and a half sacks last year. But when did he start? When did he start actually playing? Like, he only played... After th- Aquara went down. So, like, two-thirds of a season. I mean, even when Aquara went down, Harris wasn't, like, the bona fide starter. He was still rotating more than the average starter it was only later on that he really began to take the reps.
1: So I, I feel like they rotated a lot of the season though because of lack of depth yeah, there.
0: They really uh, did. I, so, I, I, I think
1: that that's the issue there. You know, you, it's lack of depth. Hundred percent.
0: Than... No, I'm I'm with you. But so on those edges, Hutchinson. I mean, I think he's going to come in and he is going to get those ten sacks. I just do. I think he, I think he is that high floor guy that everyone says he is. Now we can argue about the ceiling. For a long, long time. But that maybe means he doesn't get 18 sacks a year. But he should get 9. He should get 10. I really, really believe that's true. So Hutchinson, Harris, with come back off injury. And then Josh Pascal can play a bit of edge too. Like, that looks fantastic to me. That is, in Aquara, Harris and Hutchinson, three viable starters. With Pascal as a developmental guy who actually is pretty damn close already. And then on the interior, Neil and Penasini can be your absolute man mountain run stuffers. Brockers can come in and can do a job. Levi's going to start for me and bring that pass rush from the interior. I know you don't like that. But and I like you know. him. He needs to earn that starting spot, though. Yeah, but I'm saying he will. Levi's oh, yeah. coming. Levi's coming. So... Yeah. So anyway, the the start of this argument was that the front four are going to make everything much, much easier for your linebackers. This year, instead of the linebackers running all over the place trying to plug gaps, they're gonna attack. It's gonna be a completely different defense to what we've seen.
1: It is, and, and this defense lives or dies by its front seven this year. Let's face it, we have invested a lot into this front seven rounds two and three last year rounds one and two this year, we've spent highly in the draft. And outside of that, we've paid Romeo Aquara a ton of money. We've paid Brockers 10 million a year. We're paying Harris this year. We have put a lot of resources into this defensive line and it needs to start I mean, I guess, what is the question? How, how long, is it realistically acceptable to, to accept, expect them to start producing? You know, obviously the rookies, the rookies have to get accustomed and privatised to the NFL. You know, they have, to, they have to, you know, there's growing pains and they get there. But with the amount of money they've spent in there mixed with the rookie talent, like Brockers and McNeil, like Aquara and Hutchinson, there's the right amount of experience and there's the right amount of rookie talent there, it needs to produce this year again it's availability Levi needs to be healthy to have a fighting chance in there Romeo needs to be healthy to give us a good edge depth room where we can just keep sending guys rotating guys sending fresh guys snap after snap after snap after snap you know if you've got Aquara, Harris and Hutchinson swapping around if you're going to put Pascal in there for certain packages hell if you're going to bring James Houston up and Julian Aquara up to do some outli- outside linebacker stuff with them. You know, <laughs> there is no excuse for this defensive line not to do well this year. Leem's a second-year guy. You saw how much better he was getting last year. I still think Brockers can do something in this team. Levi has a lot to prove, but, you know, the who are coming in a good. So the, the defense depends entirely on the front seven. Yeah. We have not had a good defensive line in Detroit for a very long time back to when sue and farley were here you know you're going back a long long time before that front seven was any good and i don't know i just think with the amount you've invested in the last two years and the amount of money put up into some of those guys it's got to play well because if you think the secondary last year was not good how did we fix the secondary this year a third round comp pick and a seventh round pick in the draft that's it you yeah, know, bought Deshaun Elliott in. We've bought Hughes in, but we're taking swings in free agency, rather long odd swings and late rounds in the draft. And as much as i we love the cornerback room. We love the guys in there. That's all that. That is more based on development than anything. There's not a lot of money put into those positions. This is all about undrafted free agents, late round picks that fighting their way through and, and making a good unit. And that's a lot to bargain for. So we need to take as much pressure off them as we physically can. But with the assets we've put into the defensive line, I'm, again, I'm very confident. Aleem is already turning into one of the best defensive tackles in the NFC North, probably the wider NFC. You know, he he is going to be good. Charles Harris is having a renaissance here. Romeo was playing really well, and you hope that he comes back. But, you know, he's he's not going to be the focal point of this team like he was last year. You know, he was, he was the only guy, and he's not, and he's going to be part of a good rotational room now. And I, I like the rookies to come in to do something, but it's going to be interesting to see who they take forward. I think there's going to be some cuts in this edge room that maybe some of us don't like. But again, it's a high level of competition. Jesse Lemonnier is gone, which, even though he played well, is a good thing, because he can't even get into our depth room anymore. Yeah, he was a starter last year, things got so bad, and now he can't even reach the depth room. Shows how far the level's risen across the board, which is, again, another reason to be highly positive about things. You know, these these depth guys who were assuming critical roles in the teams now longer cannot even get into the 90.
0: Yeah, so for me, the, the really good thing about this, this front seven, or what I think will be a front six, really, is that They're going to be good against the run and the pass. In terms of how I see this going. So, you know, I am properly chugging, and I'm sorry, I am. This line is going to be really good. It's going to block things up. It's going to make havoc for quarterbacks. But when it can hold up against the run properly, and in McNeil, Hutchinson, Penasini, Charles Harris, Brockers, they are going to get some stops in the run. If they can hold their gaps, it allows the linebackers to go and attack. And you know, that is gonna play massively into Derek Barnes' strength. We did not play into Derek Barnes' strength last year at all. And I think there's oh, something we that... made
1: him we made him a coverage guy. Yeah, and and that's why I think this, this this gives away a lot about what I think the Lions defence is gonna be incredibly aggressive this year. Mm-hmm. Look at the linebackers. Derek Barnes is a blitzing linebacker designed to get into the backfield and cause havoc. That's what he did at Purdue. That's how we need to work him here now. Malcolm Rodriguez is a run-stuffer, a guy who gets up to the line, causes game-changing fumbles, and, you know, makes an impact. He does that in the run game. James Houston lives in the backfield, and me and Ryan called it before anyone saw it in rookie camp the other week. He's an outside linebacker. He's a linebacker. He's not an edge and we've already been proven right. He's taking snaps at outside linebacker. But he's another guy who blitzes. So your second level of your defense now is full of blitzers and very good blitzers. Yeah. So this offense next season, uh, offense, this defense next season, I think is going to be highly, highly aggressive, designed to stop run games killing us and to go and kill quarterbacks. You know, that, that is our linebacker cause are quarterback killers and running back killers. That, that is what they are. So, you know, it, it might get us burned sometimes, but that's why the defensive line has been invested in so heavily to create those running lanes for these blitzers to go through and cause the damage. And, you know, that's that's what the defense lives up, dies by this year. If we give quarterbacks too much time, they're going to kill us. And I know this is a Hopian podcast, but I'm trying to say the good thing is we, we finally invested in getting after quarterbacks and stopping run games, killing us in the interior, which is yeah. – Problems we've been asking, we've been screaming to be solved for years now. Stopping the run game seems to have been forgotten about almost in a lot of them, especially through the interior. So this is a very big year for the defensive line. And, you know, a lot of what is based on here is player development. But I saw lots of player development in a far worse team last year with decimated by injuries decimated by a really, really awful schedule, by everybody being new, by, you know, losses piling up quickly. And yet I saw players get vastly better, more so than under Matt Patricia ever did here. And now I'm going into this year with all my healthy vets back. I'm going in with a good draft. I'm going in with a lot of second year guys who are just going to keep getting better. You know, I, I fully trust that this development is going to continue and we're at the point now where some of these players are going to start breaking out big they've got accustomed to the NFL now they are learning how to win games and they are going to start breaking out in big ways and creating big game-changing plays for some of these guys that that's what I love the most about this year and the thought
0: about what's coming up so I mean Chris Board is in that that vein of linebacker that you were just talking about but in terms of coverage I know the Riz has said this bang this from a few times that Sean on Hamilton as a coverage linebacker was well ahead of Alex Anzalone in last year's offseason before he went down for the season how many people who got injured early last year are still on the team how many people especially given his draft profile have managed to hang around they believe in him so i wonder who's going to be the starting coverage linebacker in this in this scheme but let's let's move on sorry and
1: I'd, I'd say Anzalone will start, but, you know, things will change quickly. Mm. I feel I feel like Anzalone is the guy you've got to have in there. He's the Dan Campbell guy, the leader guy, the Green Dot guy. But what Anzalone has this year, which he didn't have last year, is he has bona fide players with him now. And, yes. you know, who can do jobs that he's not, you know, he can focus on his own job now, in that defence. We can let the let the blitz guys get to work and do their job. So you know it, it might work from that way again, if buts. But that linebacker room is better, you know. And 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 again, forget these are day three picks, guys. Malcolm Rodriguez and James Houston make that linebacker room better instantly, and not in a oh, just because there's no one else better their way, guys. They're going to make them dangerous, especially the way we're going to play. We've bought. There's a reason we've bought these guys in and targeted these guys you know, attack the run, attack the run vigorously. It was horrible watching our second line of defense against the run last year. Horrible. These guys are experts in attacking the run, forcing turnovers, changing games. And I think they're going to do a lot more than what their draft expectation is of them.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Let's move on to the secondary then and then just have a quick look at the schedule to see what the wins and losses might be very briefly because obviously we're going to cover this in a lot more depth in in the normal show. But the the secondary starters at the moment, I would say, and I mean, it's hard to predict who the cornerback starters will be. I anticipate it being Oriwarie, Akuda, Mike Hughes. Up for debate, I know there are a lot of cornerbacks in that room. Safety starters, I believe, will be Deshaun Elliott and Tracy Walker with Kirby Joseph coming in in specific packages, especially three safety packages. Um, Sometimes in two-man, you might see Joseph and Walker together if you want two deep safeties. That absolutely could be a thing. But if I have a look at this cornerback room, I'm obviously kind of really hoping that this front six, front seven is going to get a lot more pressure, which is going to alleviate some pain for this cornerback room. But I think back, to Jeff Okuda's off-season last year, when he was healthy, for the first time in 18 months, actually ended up getting uh, injured in Game 1. But all he heard through training camp was, this guy's right back on it. You know, he hasn't skipped a beat, he's looking like the player that we drafted. And I mean, there might have been a bit of hopium there too. I don't know. I wasn't there. But it really looked like on tape he was starting to reclaim some of that swagger that we saw. Then, in game one, when he did get injured, he played a practically perfect game, apart from giving up one really big touchdown, to Debo Samuel, where the coverage was 98% perfect, and Debo just flat out beat him. Like, a guy that now, one season on, people are convinced is the best offensive player in the NFL. Like, not, not talking most valuable player, but just in terms of straight talent, people, some people think Debo Samuel is the best wide receiver in the NFL. So, I don't think that's a scratch on Akuda. I don't think that's a mark on his character. The coverage was really good. Go back and look at it. He loses the ball for a tenth of a second and he's gone. Like, he's behind him. The coverage is perfect. So, don't get hung up on that one play. The rest of the game is perfect. Rakuda still has the talent he had. Can he come back from the injury is the most important thing, because the talent is still there. He needs to remain healthy. If he can remain healthy, he's still the guy we drafted for me. So I am hoping for the best there. But the wild card out of all of that group is a Melafonwu. Melafonwu has the traits, has the build, has the speed. And for me, I don't see a safety in him. I see a starting cornerback. And I see a cornerback one in his ceiling. I really, really do think he can be the one to Armani's two. Because Armani is not a one. But he can be a very good two. So, I'm hopeful that this cornerback room can come good. And if they don't, Jacobs has a lot of room to grow. Mike Hughes, I mentioned, I thought would be the starting slot. He played so much better last year than he has done before. And he comes here with low expectations still. But he's got the pedigree. He's got his career back. And this is a great place to build your career, man. And a great place to get coached in a DB room.
1: It is. But again, this is another room where it's availability. You know, we had so many injuries here at this position last year that, you know, it just forced everyone and anyone to come in and play and, you know, again so many guys coming back off injuries Jacob's coming back off serious injury Akuda coming back off serious injury and it's you know it, it it's how do they recover from that you know Parker was injured bad last year if he was injured bad last year they've all had injuries and as talented as they are they they all need to come back and and start performing and it's 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 a tough one. It's 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 again I love the cornerback I love the corner back room and the competition going on in there because I think out of all these guys, two or three are gonna to rise to the top and be really good. You know, I don't controversial maybe, but I think if he has done far more with this team than Akuda has, even in his rookie first year. It's not controversial, and I don't think. It's if if he had a really good year last year, and the thing I've said about he time and time again is yeah, he made mistakes in games, but I immediately saw the adjustments, the improvements he made in his game to counter that. I keep mentioning the Seahawks game when he got burned with one over his shoulder by DK Metcalf. He looked the wrong way, you know, just lost him again, like that little fraction of a second he did. And he was in. Yet there was an identical pass later on in the game, which he defended. Picked up, the, picked up what he got wrong first time. He learned, he got better. Before the injury, he looked really good. He came back and he grew into the game and he looked really good. I'm starting Giffy this year over Hughes, over Akuda. I, I'm, I'm putting there as cornerback two now because for me, he's earned it. And, and this is all about earning opportunity. Now, I know it's hard for Hughes because he's not been here, but I look to my own rookies first before the free agent guys I bring in and see what have they done. If if Jacobs is healthy for me when the season goes, I play Jacobs, Iffy, and Amani because they are the three most deserving guys from last year to start. Now, obviously, a lot changes in training camp. And, you know, we don't see everything that goes on behind the scenes, but in terms of who's done the most for the team when it matters. I think they're the three guys at this moment in time. But the fact that there's so much competition behind them, akuda Hughes, as you say, Parker is in there. I mean, we've got Chase Lucas in there as well now. It's, again, like the wide receiver depth room, like the edge depth room, I think this is going to create really good, players for this team just because of the amount of competition that there is there something we didn't have last year along the line so the corner is the most intriguing position to watch next year because we could potentially sort our cornerback room out without investing in it further if everything goes right even the depth we we could have our cornerback room of the future here right now if Akuda plays well if Amani plays well and we pay him if he plays well Hughes plays well four corners right there you've got so that's great um, in terms of safety got my feelings on this one I'm, I'm still very very worried about it but again the cornerback room if, if it's better if the defensive front seven is better then you've got more protection in your secondary because we really lacked protection last year we didn't have a pass for us to protect them so you kind of hope that these problems are plastered over enough to not be too much of an issue next season or the front seven could be that damn good that it just gives you more reason for positivity than not because that front seven's going to impact games more than than a secondary potential than our secondary is so again it's it's yeah it's good to see. We've we've really invested in the key areas of the team in the draft, and we've still got competitions going on in the areas which we haven't good competitions for places. Not again the places we had last year where just anyone shows up and gets a spot because that's all we've got. You know we're not relying so much on undrafted free agents this year or one year guys or that. A lot of them are our rookies now. A lot of mm-hmm. them are good bona fide players who are fit and healthy, and and that's the thing we. We've had so much talent injected into this team last this year because people are back from injuries. I think that's downplayed significantly. People go, "This was a three-win team." Well, yeah, no, no, no shit. We were losing our best center in the league most of the year, our top left tackle for half of the year, our top tight end, the top running back. You know, we lost our quarterback for some of it. We lost every corner we got, every wide receiver we got, and they're back now. And our top edge rushers, we lost them as well. Mm-hmm. That, that, that is, I think, underrated here. So this team is not as far back as some people believe. And that, I think that's why the media are high on us as well, because they, they actively, for some reason, somehow understand these issues. They, they do know that injuries played a part. Everyone goes, oh, well, the Ravens got screwed by injuries last year. Not like us. Even compared to, to them, it was severe here. We couldn't feel the 53-man roster at Denver. think we had about 48 and about six or seven more of them were were not suited to play for the day only in
0: extreme situations we were forced to play in that yeah it's Yeah. yeah right let's go for two more things then so just overall on the defense where we're projecting the ceiling to be around the nfl and then just a brief look at the schedule to see what we think the record might be uh Drew, yes, basically the entire team was injured. So we were we were beset by injury and there was one game where we got a fair amount of COVID cases and we were really, really struggling to field a team. So
1: yeah. Only yeah, happened and for one okay. game, but Yeah, but it was after we'd just beaten the Vikings, yeah. if I remember rightly. I think you're right. And yeah. then we have to go to Denver with forty eight players and again six or seven more who in Dan Campbell's own words. Were suited up for emergency only because that's all they were capable of. Yeah, that that was how bad our injury look got. And you're gonna, you're gonna forget that the we didn't have the talent the Ravens had to begin with. Yeah, let alone losing your key players who you've invested so much in. Romeo Quara down, Taylor Decker down, Frank Ragnow down. You know Williams and Perryman. I know they you know down. They were our two best receivers for the year. Gone. Our corners by then everyone was injured Akuda was injured i think ify was injured for that one i you know
0: we I think start- anzaloni might have been
1: injured as we well we started
0: Lamonier and berry at linebacker i believe yeah it was it was rough but it was grim. let's 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 get off injuries now hoping for the future uh this defense i'm going to go first on this one where can this rank in the nfl well we're projecting the ceiling we're not projecting The midpoint, we're not projecting the medium, we're not projecting the floor. We're projecting the ceiling of this defence. Well, the ceiling for me is that Hutchinson goes off more than people are even hoping. I'm thinking 12-13 sacks. The ceiling says that Aquara does come back fit. The ceiling says that Harris comes in. They're able to rotate these guys out and put some real pressure on that edge. Uh, The ceiling says that Pascal gets some pass rush from the interior, along with Levi and Alim takes another step. And this offensive line creates absolute havoc for people and really suffocates an offence. It also says that Oriwarie continues to get his ball production, that Kirby Joseph manages to get a few interceptions here and there too. Tracy Walker continues to take a step, and then you get bit part play from all the rest of the guys. Mike Hughes comes in and continues his good play from the back end of last year. And then Malcolm Rodriguez fits in with a good few sacks too. I mean, like, there's a lot of upside you can talk about from all of these guys. Derek Barnes comes in and is the guy we thought we were drafting. The guy to be the fifth man coming through that line to sack the quarterback or block some gaps if for the running back. You know, this defense... I'm not saying it's going to be special in the same way I think the offense can be special. I think that's that's too far. But do I think it could be a top 20 defense? Yes, I do. Do I think it could be a top 16 defense? I think it could be a 16th best defense. I think it could be the very last team in that bottom half of the NFL. 15th, 16th is absolutely possible for me with this team. It's not perfect and it ain't going to be good some games. But at its ceiling... It's going to give a lot of teams a lot of problems, especially the weaker teams in the NFL. What do you reckon, Adam?
1: All right. Well, there's, there's two answers to this, so I'll do like you do. The, the ceiling, if our young D line absolutely is able to dominate and is able to develop at such a rate that you know, you know, we've not seen anything like it before, if the linebacking core works, if Rodriguez and Houston come in and have the impact that I think they're going to have, especially in the run game and stopping teams running on us so much. If the cornerback room yields such fierce competition that, you know, it pushes the cream to the top and guys really take a stranglehold on there because they have to because the depth is good. And and if the safety room can be, can be adequate in there, then, you know, it could be a top 15 defense. For me, because of that investment you've made on the defensive line, like I say, four premium picks in the last two years. Well, I guess if you call it day three premium one, but I do. I still think McNeil is pretty high. I think he's a premium pick. So you got four in the last two years and you have three guys in Harris, Brockers, Aquara, who paid very damn well there. So by all means and that that should be a very good front seven and that alone elevates your defense forward and it, you know I, I think it could be a top 51 and don't forget Aaron Glenn's there so we we've discounted you know we're talking about the players but the coach what Aaron Glenn did with the defense last year was nothing short of a miracle I think there was like a four-game stretch where he had us conceding like 13 points a game which is absolutely just for what he had was incredible, and all that talent he's got to work with this year. You know, leone has gone, and we've got in, oh, Christ, Kelvin Shepherd, who looks really damn good at his job, who is highly thought of in this team there. You've got Aubrey Pleasant in there. You know, we seem to have got it figured with the coaching. So it could be a top 15 defense. Me, I think it's going to be around upper 20s. I think maybe 21, 22, because I think the D-line's going to do better, but I think that secondary is still going to struggle, and too much of it relies on player development this year. There's too much rookie talent and not enough established talent, and that, that's always going to have growing pains. mm mm-hmm. And this is this is not knocking the team. No, this, no, is, no this is absolutely what we needed to do. We needed to rebuild that thing there. So, I think they're going to be better than the sum of their parts this year. And you know, I think if you end up with an offense that's—I mean, we discussed this on the Monday pod. If your offense is 12th and your defense is 20th, depending on which way you look at it, that is either a playoff team or nowhere near a playoff team, depending on how you look at it. Mm-hmm. So. And you would expect us to be in that area. I would like to be in that area. You know, that sort of seven, eight, nine win area. Maybe you're just on the periphery a little bit because it's a big jump to make, but it's bona fide legitimate progress. So, you know, if he can get it to top 20, then, I mean, just think, next year, this time in 12 months, all these guys on our defense, if they have a good year and progress, then... Yeah. Jesus, the the opportunities are limitless. I'm saying top 10 defense next year. If a lot of these guys take big strides and we draft well again, I'm yeah, legitimately really saying be. top 10 defense. I think be. the offense is just a year in front. The offense has the advantage of having more experience on it. The offensive line is, you know, pretty solidified. It's got three established vets, two rookies. That's a good little sort of mix to have in terms there. The receiver core, again, a, good mix you've got some experience in there now and you've got a lot of good rookies in there I'm running back rooms everywhere you look it's a good blend of rookie and vet the right blend the defense is just lopsided towards rookies at the minute though so it's a year behind but again not critiquing how they're building the team i am so excited to see some of these players this year i just think there's going to be so many guys who really come on and start you know, really pushing out production this year and really showing themselves on a bigger stage. So, yeah, yeah,
0: upper 20s for the defense. Okay, so let's finish this off because we've been going a while. Just with a very brief look at the schedule, we're going to do an entire pod on wins and losses on this schedule. So I don't want to do that here. I just want to do, very briefly, win-loss-tie for every game, and if you want to give a reason briefly, do so. But obviously, we would just be regurgitating what we'll do later on in the year if we go too too much. So, if we go one by one through the schedule, at home, Eagles week one, I'm going win, narrow.
1: Narrow, win. Yeah. This is where our trenches need, the investment needs to come through. Their D-line is nowhere near as good as our O-line. And our D-line is packed full of young talent. And outside of Maiolata and Kelsey, there's opportunities there. That's why I want to see a win.
0: Washington at home week two. Blowout win. 2-0. and Win. 2-0 and for Ant as well. Week three at Vikings. Blowout win. 3-0. Lost.
1: Much as I hate the Purple Incarnations of Satan, they are still a decent side. They suck. And we're playing at
0: Minnesota, so... Uh, I'm not saying it because I'm biased. They suck. They are a team on the down. They were already bad. They've changed <laughs> their coaches. They've got a GM who thinks he knows analytics has No idea. We're not good. We're, we just are not good in
1: Minnesota, so, you know, it's... I, I think we're going to lose that. Our own team still has a lot of problems to overcome and a lot of development to do to grow. Hopium! To where to Hopium. <laughs> yes, the Vikings suck. Kirk Cousins is a massive... No, this is actually true. Kirk Cousins yeah. is ridiculously overpaid, but I, okay. I think
0: we'll be very competitive and we'll just lose. Fat. You're 2-1, and one, I'm 3-0. and oh. Seattle at home. Win. 4-0. Oh. Win. Win. Three and one for you then, and you're being more realistic. At Pat's week five, Pat really got worse in this off season and have a load of contracts that are really, really bad for players that aren't very good. Win five and zero. This
1: is a (laughs) Hopium podcast, isn't it? So uh,
0: we we traditionally do well against the Patriots. So win. We really do do well against the Patriots. We've won the last few against them, I think. It's
1: like the Cardinals. Cardinals just can't seem to beat us.
0: So... Plus, we beat Patricia. Yeah. by week un- Unlike what by we said week, last we year, are, we, are,
1: can't... we are chugging Kool-Aid if it's we can't, 5-0. We can't, <laughs> we, can't,
0: we can't beat the bye-week. We can't lose the bye-week. If
1: we're 5-0 and so. at the bye-week, we're looking for flights for the playoff football
0: just in case it happens, I aren't we? Dallas- Away at Dallas, week seven. Loss. Loss. Yeah, five and one. You're four and two. That
1: offense is going to wreck us.
0: Week eight at home to Dolphins. Loss. You? (sighs) Five and three for me. I love what they've done in the offseason. I think they've really invested well. Win. Okay, so we're both five and two. Packers yeah. at home loss, loss five and three. Bears win. At, at Bears win six and three. At Giants week eleven win seven and win three. seven and three for both of us. Thanksgiving Bills loss <laughs> comfortably. <laughs> yes,
1: we're we the we're the Thanksgiving Day turkey there. Unfortunately,
0: yeah. seven and four Jacksonville at home win eight and four. Yes, win at home to the Vikings. Win nine and five. Uh, no, last week fourteen. Where am <laughs> I wrong? Nine, and, nine and four.
1: <laughs> this is a opium podcast. Isn't it? <laughs>
0: <sighs> We're going to split with the Vikings, and I've already predicted a loss. So win. So you're nine and four. I, yes. I, I, I haven't made you do this. The Jets away win loss what
1: (laughs) why no i actually well why we're gonna look (laughs) i can't do this i can't do this (laughs) there has to be some realism in there somewhere i I think the jets had a very good well they had a very a pretty good draft and they had a really good the jets are worse
0: than we are
1: I think the Jets are going to finish second in that division behind the Bills. I, I genuinely do. Under Salah, he's got his defense going this year. I think we're going to struggle. So lost.
0: Okay, nine and five for you. Ten and four for me. At Carolina, win, win. <laughs> ten and f- eleven and four. <laughs> no, I'm at five. I've got five defeats. You're you're at ten and five. Oh shit! At home to the Bears, win. Eleven and five. Oh yeah, win. Oh yeah, win. I've said this. I'm not
1: accepting anything less than two wins against the Bears. Okay, this year.
0: you're ten and six, I'm eleven and five. At Green Bay, they've clinched the number one seed in the NFC. I'm still going loss, but I hold get, out hope get, for that. We we're gonna get hammered like a nail. Okay, so but unfortunately seven,
1: Green Bay are just gonna sweep us this year.
0: So sorry. Seventeen games, eighteen weeks, you've just gone eleven and six. I've just gone twelve and five. Now it's ridiculous. I know it's ridiculous, but I've gone through every game. I'll go into it in more detail on another pod. There are a few there that I think are a bit mad. Week one against the Eagles is going to be extremely tight. In real, you know, re- realistically, Patriots is going to be tight, but they're winnable games. Like I don't even mean they're winnable games. As in, we have a forty percent chance. I genuinely believe these games are coin flip games, and I've. Chosen a loss against the bloody dolphins, which a lot of people have as wins. It's well, like again,
1: a- this is the hopium podcast. This is like us looking on the positive side of things and seeing where the results are. So, I think in the most positive situation, if our players all develop really, really well, if the offense hums like a top potential top 10 offense, as we think it can, and that defense full of talented rookies begins to hum like we think it can. This is not beyond the realms of possibility. We were three field goals away from six wins last year. So going from six to 10 wins is not insurmountable. It's not a massive, massive jump. I will, li- I will, fight, on the- I will fight and die on the hill if we weren't a three-win team last year, given the situation we were in, the injuries we had, the schedule we had, that was not a true representation of this team. It was growing pains. It was a lot of rookies in there. You know, I still think that was a potential five or six win team last year. So the leap ain't great. Obviously requires on everything going well, but, you know, just being healthy will be a huge advantage for us. A lot of these teams are bad now, you know, NFC ain't great at the minute. And, you know, we're a team on the up. We're a team doing our rebuild right. We are a team who have a great young core at the right positions. A lot of teams don't have that. So, there is absolutely no reason why we can't do better than them next year. And that's not even just with Hopium.
0: Yeah, so Drew's talking about Philly and 44-6 last year. You're talking about a Philly team riding high for me. You know, they... I know it wasn't even a good year for them last year, really. But Jalen Hurts was uh, what top twelve quarterback last year, according to the metrics. There so, we actually we'll, we'll get into this. We'll get into this another time because I don't want to get into what we're going to do on the main podcast. We're just going to encroach on that. But this is a hoping podcast. We're going to beat the Eagles. I, I well, this,
1: there yeah. was lots of extenuating circumstances around that Eagles game last year as well, you know. The entire team been new, us been on a losing streak, confidence at rock bottom, injuries all over the place. You know, it, it, yeah. there's a lot of extenuating circumstances around there. You know, the, the Bears beat us, but Jesus Christ, they ain't going to beat us this year. Things change. No,
0: absolutely. Right. Any last words before we sign off? Because this has gone bit deeper. Than yeah,
1: yeah, 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 yeah. This this sort of didn't go, but <laughs> technically it's not a mini pod like from the big podcasts there. So no. all I would say is there are a lot of reasons to be positive next year. You know, it this is may, may some people may say this is only year two of a rebuild. It's destined to be another bad year and that, but you know, we, we have a lot of our key pieces here now. It's just a case of developing them, watching them win games, watching them grow as players. But if if this team has taught us anything from last year is that it fights harder than anybody. You know, there is no team that is gonna outfight us next season. And you know, the schedule is easier and doesn't necessarily mean a whole lot, you know, anything from no primetime games, so we've got better. Strength and scheduling, you know, just all these little things are reasons to be positive. The rookies that we have are reason to be positive. So, even if we don't go 10 or 11 wins, etc., this is going to be a very exciting team. The one ain't going to be propping up this division anymore, too, is on the beginning of its upward trajectory. We had the hard year last year, only way is up from this point on. And I think we're going to go up quickly. So, you know, Hopium and positivity and that aside, just look at the facts. Some people will look at the facts of the three-win season, but no, sorry, look at what you see on a game day. We watch every single game. We see how this team is progressing. We see how the players are progressing. We look at all the extenuating circumstances rather than just the box score. And things are trending up in a positive direction. So that that would be the thing that I would you know, take away from this is – it's not bad to be positive this year it's not bad to have expectations this year
0: because they can be met and I think they will be met yeah, just have hope guys, don't get scared by people saying keep your feet on the ground that's absolutely no fun you want to have fun as a Lions fan actually believe in your team there's too many people one specific guy on Twitter who I will not mention the name of who is a complete fucking arsehole, who is convinced that whatever the Lions do is bad. Don't be the same old Lions. Don't be the same old Lions. Speakeasy said he showered us out on Woodward Sports and they didn't believe we exist. They're aware of us now. Thank you, my man. I appreciate that. Um, Speakeasy. Yeah, yeah, I I
1: would just say as well, don't temper your expectations. There's no reason why this team can't go forward. There's no reason why this team has to suffer more years of high draft picks than that here. It doesn't – it does not have to happen. You know, you got to take one look at the Pistons. So, they, You know, you got the NBA playoffs tonight. They're, they're trying to aim for another number one pick. They got it last year. They got the franchise guy. I, I'm not as high on them as a lot of these guys are. These rookies who are used to losing and losing and losing. What happens when it comes to the crunch and that team needs to win games? It's the same with our rookies. They've gone through years and years and years of losing. It is not a bad thing to win games and to develop your team that way. We've got a GM who has proven that he is a master in the draft. We don't need a high draft pick. He will get us the players that we need with what he has at his disposal. So let's not temper our expectations and go, it's another rebuild year. No, have belief, want a winner, want your players to win. Want your team to win? It's not unrealistic. It really, really is not. And if you saw that team last year and how it played, you would know that it is not a team that wants to lose. designed to lose. It's going to win a lot this year, and it's going to surprise a lot of people as well. So, whilst maybe not chuffing hopium all the time, be realistic, but just don't be negatively—you know—don't be negative about it. There are far more positives than negatives about this team right now. And that is a hill I'll die on.
0: Yeah, 100%. Just have hope in your heart. We'll walk together to a really, really positive season. Uh And ignore the naysayers.
1: All this, the lines are historically bad. You know deep down inside that this is different. We know that this is different. You know, Patricia got figured out after a while that things were not going to get better. You don't have this feeling about these guys.
0: Records genuine... records are made to be broken. The Chicago Cubs won the World Series. The Boston Red Sox won the World Series. The Bengals got to the Super Bowl. You know, like, Leicester City won the Premier League. There are so, so many examples of historically bad teams breaking the cycle. Don't scout the helmet and say this guy's going to be bad because he's from X college It doesn't make any sense. Have you actually looked at who the player is? You know... You can read into things, but that cannot be your evaluation solely. Is a team going to be bad? Because it's always been bad. It's lazy. Don't do it. Look at what this team's doing. Look at the progression it's already made. Look at the draft it's had and the free agency it's had over the past two years. Look at how much they love their coach, and you will believe. That's going to do it for this podcast. Do follow us on our socials as we've had a a couple of follows while we've been here, JC Paxton on Twitch, and I can't actually see the second guy. Apologies. Just, just you while you guy. quickly
1: look, I just quickly want to shout, obviously, if, if you've been watching this evening, you'll have obviously seen Matt do a little breakdown part earlier, the, the actual mini part, because this has turned out to be anything. But a mini pods, um, I put this up on Twitter. But we, we've got a lot of things that we're going to be doing over this off season, over the summer. If you followed us last year, you know we're really active and that. And these these little mini pods. If if you know any Lions fans looking for a new podcast, or you know they just don't want to, you know, because we we chat a lot. You know, this this little pod has gone on an hour and a half tonight because we just love to talk all the time. We love to talk with you guys. But the little half an hour things that are coming out are designed to break down the big pods and show people what we can do just in a bite-sized format. So if you do know any Alliance fans looking for a new podcast, do send them in the direction of it. We're trying to be as inclusive to as many people as possible because some people like shorter podcasts. But our listeners seem to like our big ones. But it's just one of the little things that we're doing over the summer to try and branch out and expand a little bit. And it's going to be quite fun. A couple of us are going to come on and do those. Uh, so yeah, just get the word out. Let mm-hmm. them know that we're doing the mini bite size one. Send people over and hopefully they'll come and join us on the streams here. So there's a lot of stuff to look forward to. We're going to be doing a lot over the summer. So keep with us. We, we really do appreciate you all. Our, our Our views are going through the roof at the minute and you know, it's, it's very, very humbling. So thank you, One Bride.
0: Yeah, it's been fantastic. Nathan Burke, it was, on YouTube, who also chucked us a follow. We've got our articles coming out or already out on the website, ruralofthelandsuk.com. So we've got our our Chase article. We've got our James Houston article. We've got Kirby Joseph. I'm going to make sure the Aidan Hutchinson one goes off tonight before I go to bed. Otherwise, just follow us on our socials, on the YouTube, hit the bell, make sure you know when we're going live. Facebook page, Detroit Lions fans UK won prize Worldwide. You can also enter the giveaway. £5 or $6 to enter. All proceeds above cost go to the Red Cross UK Ukraine appeal. If you win, you get a Detroit Lions jersey with a name on the back of your choice. That's run by our good friend Ryan Farden, who hopefully will be coming back to the pod soon. Otherwise, dot UK on all of the social medias. But for now my cheers to and to everyone for listening my name is Matthew Turner we will see you on the podcast maybe the college football podcast tomorrow but the main podcast next Monday let's go Lions One Pride